Hello and welcome once again to the Run of the Mills podcast as we are keeping up with the king as we go through the book of Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. As we mentioned last time, Matthew is a gospel written by a Jew to Jews about a Jew, about the king of the Jews in particular. And we talked about last time about this book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that's verse one that Matthew's laying out Jesus' claim to the throne. And not just any throne, but the Jewish throne, the throne of David. And so he, right from the beginning, points out, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And he points out the two important, um, the, well, I shouldn't say two important, the two most important uh, people in the genealogy. And that is the that he is related to David and Abraham. Why are those important? Well, because if you're Jewish, you got to be related to Abraham. And if you're going to be the king of the Jews, well, you have to go through Dave. So let's keep going and see who else we encounter. And I'm going to try not to get too distracted by all the folks in the genealogy. So let's go chat verse two. It says, Abraham, that's our starting point, Abraham, begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. So if we're going to stop right there for just a moment, uh, many of these people that we're reading about so far, we know about from the book of Genesis, where we read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his sons. And we uh, you have that great story of Jacob's sons selling their brother Joseph into slavery. And if you're reading the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, you'll find that there is this break in the middle of the story. And they have this kind of strange aside, right? Which, if you're reading it, it doesn't, it, it just seems out of place. And I love out of place stuff in the Bible, right? And I always wonder, like, I wonder what the Jewish rabbis thought, you know, as they're reading the story of Joseph. And then all of a sudden, there's this, there's this change, right? In this in the story where you're going along, you're hearing about this is what happened to Joseph. Joseph, uh, his brother sold him, and this is uh, then he's in Egypt, and then all of a sudden there is this change, right? Where you go from chapter what was it? Chapter um, thirty-seven talking about Joseph's dreams of greatness and Joseph sold by his brothers and the Midianite traders and taking him and he sold to, told him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. Now for chapter 39 says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian brought him from the issue, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. This is Genesis 30. Nine, And so, but in between 37 and 39, there is, yes, that's right, chapter 38. And in chapter 38, you have this very bizarre tale of Judah and Tamar. Judah, who has these sons, and his son uh, marries a Canaanite woman. Um, and his son, uh, his son's name was Shua, and he married her, and she, um, she conceived and bore a son and called his name Ur. And um, 
Then she conceived and bore another son and called. So the, I'm sorry, I'm back up. This is Judah. Judah has a wife uh, who's the, star, the daughter of a Canaanite. And she has a son uh, named Ur and a son named Onan and a son named Shelah. And so these, the, the oldest son uh, we read about, he marries this woman named Tamar, right? And Tamar did evil. He was wicked. Something he did, we don't, we're not told, but God kills him. And so Judah tells his second son, Onan, go into your wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. So this was what was called the Leverite marriage. And this was when uh, someone was, uh, when a son was, who died without his wife providing an heir, his brother was to marry her and provide an heir to, uh, for his brother. Um, but his brother doesn't want to do it. He goes in and he does not, um, he does not, uh, impregnate her. Instead, he spills it and says on the ground. And so God kills him too. Anyway, long story short, um, Judah tells Tamar, go home. And when my son, Sheila is old enough, you can marry him, but he doesn't do it. And so there's this crazy, crazy story about how, how she, uh, Tamar tricks Judah into, uh, thinking she's a prostitute and he sleeps with her and she's pregnant and then she has these twin sons and their names are Perez and Zara. Um, and Perez being part of the line of, of, um, of Jesus. And, but what's interesting is that Zara is mentioned there too, right? So Perez and Zara are mentioned and Zara is not part of the, line of Jesus, but he's mentioned he's, he is a twin brother to Perez. And you have this really strange thing going on, um, with Perez and Zara and a picture there of Jesus Christ. So maybe we'll take a peek at that real quick. All right. So at the end of Genesis 38, we read about, well, let's just go to verse 27. I'll just read it. It says, now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that behold, twins were born or twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand saying, this one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, they called his name Perez. Afterwards, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zara. So there's there's some really interesting things going on here. Uh, the names Perez and Zara, you know, that, uh, that uh, Zara's name means rising one. And so you have the one whose name is rising one, who... who who enters into the womb or the tomb with the red on his hand, you know, the scarlet thread that you see throughout the Bible that should point us, make us aware that, Hey, this is, um, this is talking about Jesus, the man with red on his hands. And so he goes into the tomb slash womb. And then he comes out again. Um, and so there's just, there's just some neat pictures here. And, uh, and I love this kind of stuff when you see this in the Bible. You see these things that are out of place and you say, well, with all this other stuff, if there's a, you know, 
if you if you see symbolism in this point of Jesus or not. It's very interesting that this story is recorded in uh, in Genesis in this this story about Joseph, which is also a great picture of Jesus. But here's the thing: it makes total sense to us that this genealogy, or rather, that this story exists in the book of Genesis. It's important that it's in the book of Genesis. Why? Because it's going to be important because it's part of the genealogy of Jesus. It's important. And there's some great things also for us in here, because as we read through these names of these people that are in the genealogy of Christ, what we see over and over and over is failure. <laughs> At least that's what I see. You know, Abraham's the father of faith. And yet so many times when we talk about Abraham's faith, isn't it interesting that he shows such great faith so many times and yet there are those times where he, he seems to fail greatly, and those things tend to overshadow. And I think it's one of those things when your name is the father of faith, you know, when people call you that, those things, your failures tend to overshadow. And, and that's one of those things that, that I think is just in general for all of us, is that our, fav, our failures tend to overshadow. You know, the, the good things that we've done, the, the, the successes we've had, uh, those failures tend to overshadow. And what I've been trying to do, what I, I hope you will try to do, is try to look over those things in people. Try to try to have that grace with people where you don't get hung up on that great failure in their life. Or maybe it wasn't a great failure. Maybe it was just a minor failure, but it was so easy to get hung up on those things. You know, I, I saw that as a pastor that oftentimes um, people would put others on pedestals, you know, and that person won one little thing, one little thing, and that was it. You know, I'd see people go from church to church and they would stay at that church until the pastor let them down. And you know what the pastors are going to do at every church you ever go to? They're going to let you down. In some way, they're going to let you down. Um, because their job isn't really to hold you up in the first place. But keep that in mind as you read this and you think about Abraham and you think about Isaac and, and Jacob. And man, you think about Jacob and the mistakes he made. You think about Judah and you go, man, Judah, he's here this this you know, one of the one of the twelve tribes of Israel named after him. Well, you think about all those guys. You think about man, the failures stand out. You think about Judah with this mess with his daughter-in-law and this child born, and it's so easy to get hung up on that and miss out on something bigger. And that is that God can use the messed up, broken people. God can use you despite that glaring error. That glaring sin, that thing that you think, you know what, no one will ever want to hear what I have to say. No one will care about what I do because I did this thing, because I, I failed in this way. But God can still use you. God can still use you and does use you. God is the master of using broken people for his glory. So if you're a broken person today, be encouraged because, hey, there's a God that can use you. God bless you. Talk to you next time.